Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. Mate, did I... <laughs> Did I read somewhere or hear somewhere that there's a petition circulating trying to get the Adelaide Oval changed to Phillips Field? Yeah, that's been a massive push, uh, I understand, from one person. That you know, I don't think it's quite caught on as I'd hoped, but yeah, so we can have a bit of fun with that. And yeah, it's got a nice, it's got a nice tone to it. It's got a nice feel to it. I think. Oh, so we'll see what happens. Now, yeah. Flip, there was one thing I'm very glad Pete brought that up because it reminded me. Now we've just had the national draft occurred and a. Certain Wayne Bentley Phillips is probably one of, if not the main reasons, why the draft system got changed. Go for that and explain everything what happened. Flip. Oh, sorry, no, I just no, I was a little bit bored and didn't have a lot to do. I just nominated myself for the AFL draft. Yeah, got through the first. Yeah, didn't quite, didn't get picked up, but yeah, got some lovely letters from yeah. the AFL and. Uh, didn't you put the wide wingman and could boundary umpire at the same time, Morfordville Park to see grade or something? I was going to say, how many SNFL games uh, are we up to? None. No. <laughs> how many no, A grade games are we up to? So, just yeah, it was uh, just a, a quiet time in the days at SGIC and needed a letter. So, yeah, yeah, got it done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what, made you think, gotta... what made you think right, of that? Sorry. Oh, I had nothing to do. So yeah, I saw okay. that, and yeah, thought that it might be worth uh, uh, might be worth having a, a bit of a run. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports, local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis cricket and any other sports played in this wide world and we're gonna have a blast doing it so sit back relax and let's do this thing welcome Welcome to game on and uh, welcome to game on once again i'm pete joined with uh, malcolm once again Last week, Flipper was just an absolute joy to have, but I didn't stop laughing the entire time. He's a very funny man. He was trying to take a sidestep on the drafting bit there, I thought, Flipper, yeah, which was very unusual for Wayne Bentley. So, yes, I might, have, I might have scored some points on that one. Yeah, I think you bamboozled him. You, uh, you gave him the Flipper, that's for sure. Yes. Fantastic. Around the grounds. And mate, to kick off around the grounds today, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a look at the AFL fixture, the cricket, the one, the test here in Adelaide at the moment, and the baseball. But just to kick off first, Malcolm, I can see you're a shattered man at the moment. Explain to our listeners why. I wouldn't go as far as that. One other quick point. So anyone out there at the moment, Unaware, I've had more than my share of dramas. Got hacked on Facebook, so I cannot get on my old page and have had to start up a new page. It has been an absolute pain in the neck. People are getting Facebook friend requests. I got hacked from the Nibia. 
I was so angry with myself. And yeah, so out there now, the page I'm using has a page of myself with Jack Hurd with his premiership medal from grand final day. So anything else comes through, people out there, please block and please send friend requests through to the through to the page of myself with Jack Hurd. And also contact you via your mobile if yeah. you absolutely need to get in contact. Oh. It's an absolute pain for everybody involved. There's nothing worse than not having access to an account, especially when you've got you know a lot of contacts on there that that you would love to, to, to let them know that this is what's going on. And it's been a nightmare. Please come over to the new page. We'll keep an eye on that over the next couple of weeks and hopefully we can get it sorted, mate. And if not, as I said, make sure the friend request comes through. Yeah. But just to kick off first, Malcolm. I'm pretty happy that the Redbacks had a win, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, most surprising. But, oh, look, there has been a little bit of gains. I think young McSweeney's probably been the glowing endorsement. He's come in and been very good right from when he's come into the side. Good that Weathers got 100. Good that young that Drew got 90-odd in the second innings and the bowling group performed and you know, bowled Tasmania out twice. So, yeah, a first away win for a number of years. Yep. And, yeah. 208-run 200, victory. You don't sneeze at that for sure. Look, I'm a bit surprised Dizzy's got a contract extension already. Like, I, I wouldn't have thought, you know, nothing against Jason, but you wouldn't have thought the results are screaming out, still me, still me. So I, I'm a bit surprised with that, but. Yeah. Maybe they see something behind the scenes yeah, that, that, yeah. that that's working uh, quite well and maybe we have turned a little bit of a corner and hopefully they can build on it from there. Exactly. And the strikers start 14th of December, so... Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, we're well and truly into cricket season now yeah. and uh, Big Bash is going to start to hit the airwaves and it's a magical time of December when work's just winding up for the year and, you know, you can come home at night and... Uh, and watch, you know, some good quality games. Yeah, I still think they've gone way too many games. Yep. I, I think they killed the Golden Goose. The it big, big was the hottest ticket in town for a while. Four games at home I thought was ample. Yep. I I think they've stuffed it yep. well and truly. Look, I, I know that the, uh, Cricket Australia are uh, looking into it a little bit at yeah. the moment, but as to whether we get the results we want, we'll see how we go. Yeah, but if, they've had time to do that. You've looked at the results last year and why they haven't gone, hey, hang on, we've got to shorten this. Yeah, but no. Crowd, crowds again are a little bit of a worry. You know, obviously in the Test match over in Perth, Adelaide Oval at the moment doesn't look like no, doesn't I, look like it's brimming with people. No, but there was fifteen odd. There was over fifteen thousand yep. as the crowd earlier, which is obviously a huge improvement on Perth. Yes, and let's be honest, West Indies aren't a drawing card. Yep. The soccer, mate. Yeah, well, World Cup starting to get to the serious end of the business at the moment. Australia, I thought, battled along very, very well in their oh, in their game against Argentina. Yeah, look, fantastic effort. Bit unlucky not to equalise right at the death. Yeah, six inches lower, eight inches lower. That's yeah. probably in. And uh, yeah, the it hit his hand. He, yep. he didn't really save it. It was more good fortune than good goalkeeping. Yep. So, yeah, look, great effort to challenge one of the world superpowers. And bear in mind, their second goal was a. Goalkeeper Howler. Yes. Yeah, so... I think it's made the world sit up and take notice a little bit that, you know, Australia is making improvements and, and striving to be around the mark. And, you know, Goodwin uh, scoring that goal, yeah, it was off of a little bit of deflection, but the intent was there that he was attacking the goal. So, you know, when that happens, anything can happen, really. Look, he, at least when he came on, he gave Australia... Australia looked a lot more threatening with him on the ground yep. than what we had earlier. So, yeah, OK... I agree with it being called no goal because, geez, it wasn't going anywhere near in the same suburb. So it's luck. Yes. But, but at least but he was attacking. an attacking threat. Exactly right. And obviously, Goodwin coming back to the Adelaide United this week. They've, they've had their little pause for the World Cup. And oh, let's hope he can do some special things for Adelaide United. Yeah, hopefully he plays. It's, uh, they've got to wait and see whether he's passed, yep. fit, and you know, he ticks all those, those boxes. boxes. Yep. So. Yeah, uh, certainly a draw crowd, a draw card for the crowd if he does play that yeah. for sure. And then another thing that was absolutely amazing: Morocco beating Spain in a penalty shootout where Spain don't score. Yeah, ridiculous. That's, that's insane. Yeah, how can you lose a penalty shootout not scoring? It's Just a, incredible. Like, you know, I'd fancy a combined pain and bowls and 
cricket club would score a goal in a, in a penalty shootout. It's so. amazing that maybe it's a it's a bit like the goal kicking in the AFL. They may not practice it as much as they uh, they should, but you think these guys are being paid millions upon millions of dollars that penalty shootouts surely would be in their wheelhouse. Oh, especially where it decides the result. Yeah, and it is quite a common occurrence. It's not something which happens only once in a blue moon. So yeah, no, weird. Mate, we move on to the Adelaide Five Hundred. You know, it was a roaring success last weekend. Oh, look, I, I thought it was bizarre that it left the state. Yeah, and it was pretty obvious that the Liberal government were trying to bleed it. You know, the, the axe diminished, everything fell away. Yep. And then, oh, we can't afford Well, no, let's let's support local businesses. Okay, let's wait, wait and see what the financial bid is in the end. But it got Adelaide up and alive, which... Doesn't would, happen anywhere near enough. No, and and it was fantastic to see the the event was pretty much all chock a block all four days, and then you get a young fella Brock Feeney that wins his first or his maiden race for Holden in their last race here in yeah. here in Australia, which is just a, an amazing achievement for a young fella as bit well. Bit of synergy, yeah, a little bit, uh, yeah. Incredible result, you know, remarkable, but you know, and. Full marks to, to Peter Malinowskis, Robbie Williams already next year. Fantastic. That's what I was just about to say. They, uh, they've they already secured a, a top-line entertainer for next year. Obviously, there'll be a couple of other names that will be added to that, but you know that already gets them off on the right foot for, for 2023. And I like his, his comment straight away afterwards and said, and, yeah, we've identified several things we did wrong and that we're going to endeavour to fix. So... It was good to hear a politician actually admit, hey, that word wrong and we could have done better. So, well, and, and they almost had to start again a little bit yeah. with, with a few things. Yeah. So, you know, they, they were in a little bit of a learning phase. Obviously, uh, in previous years, it's been the first race of the season. Yeah. This year was the last race of the season. So, you know, there were some teething problems. But, yeah, I'm, I agree. You know, you can learn from your mistakes and it looks like they're, they're already planning to do that. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it was a no-brainer to get it back. And it's well and truly got the big tick. Well, we should get two races here next year. Obviously, the one in the city and then the one out at uh, the Bend Motorsport. Uh, I think it's great for motorsport in in Australia, but South Australia as well. Yep. All right, mate, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a little bit of a look at the uh, AFL fixture for 2023. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate and subscribe. So yeah, the AFL's released its round one fixture. Yeah, a couple of a couple of notables. Obviously, Richmond and Carlton traditionally on the on the Thursday night. It looks like Collingwood and Geelong on the Friday night. But Adelaide and Brisbane, Port Adelaide and Brisbane. Apologies. Sort of Saturday afternoon at four o five. A little bit of a weird time slot. Someone's got to play there with the way it's set up. Yep. Probably more the point was the absolute bizarre decision and the. Yes. The insecurity by the AFL that, uh-oh, we better release something to compete with the publicity the World Cup and soccer's getting. Oh, oh, we might lose people to soccer. 6.45, you release it on a Sunday morning? Absolute insanity. I don't know who's in charge of publishing those uh, draws and everything else, but, yeah, I don't agree with them doing it at 6.45, especially whilst, you know, Australia are competing in the World Cup. They could have actually got more publicity by the, at, the, at the end of the day. Correct. It was just biz- ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, interesting conversations that are obviously happening behind the scenes oh. on that one. And yeah, I don't know why you'd be overly worried about competing with a, a national sporting event that happens once every four years. It's, yeah, it, it, just, it just didn't make sense. I agree. Smacked of insecurity. Obviously, uh, moving on to the, uh, we'll stay on the AFL. Moving on to the. Uh, Club champions finally been finalised for 2022. Rory Laird winning the Malcolm Blight medal. Jordan Dawson finishing second. Ben Keyes third. Taylor Walker fourth. And Brody Smith fifth. Looking at the names from six to ten for the for the Crows, you've got Fogarty, McAdam, Duday, Berry, and Saligo. That next generation is starting to push through a little bit. Lee says a little bit. Look, I'm not. It's nothing against Ben Keyes, but. He's an, he's what I, my perfect as far as I'm concerned, honest battler, and Adelaide's got too many honest battlers. And an honest battler to finish 
third in your BNF, I view as a worry personally. Yeah, he did. He, he obviously accumulates a lot of the yeah. ball, you know, and hopefully this year he'll, you know, potentially start to to use it a little bit better. But, you know, you've got to get your hands on it. It's a little bit like Matt Crouch, you know, same sort of player, gets his hand on the ball a hell of a lot, but probably doesn't use it as effectively as he could, for sure. Yeah, yeah I'm still mystified again with Matt Crouch. I think he's a far better player. Absolutely. Keys, personally. Yes. Moving on to Port Adelaide, uh, Port's winner of the John Cale medal, Connor Rosie, Travis yes. Boak finishing second, Dan Houston third, Ollie Wines fourth, and Sam Pepper fifth. Again, almost in the same boat. Their names from six to ten are, you know, a few up and comers: Todd Marshall, Zach Butter, Carl Amon, who's not there anymore. Jeremy Finlayson obviously came to the club last year, but gee, Connor Rose has just taken another step forward, hasn't he? Oh, look, that name still shudders as a Nord supporter from the finals from eighteen. And look, always thought this kid's pretty special, and. I, it was funny, when Kane Corns originally did the bit of comparing him to Walsh, I could see where he's coming from on that. He's saying, well, Rosie's more the match winner. And I think he's right. Yep. Uh, still with that. I still think Rosie, and let's see what Horn Francis, if, he, if, he's, if his body and, and butters together, I think they are a dynamic trio and as, as you know, a chance as any, any yep. to... Almost like Go the Brisbane forward. Fab Five, yeah. you know, gets into that category. You know, Connor Rosie came into a Port Adelaide team that was, you know, it was good, it was all right, whereas Walsh went into a Carlton team that was depleted and, yes, you know, he true. has to play that bollocking role in finding the ball, whereas Rosie was able to bide his time a little bit around that forward line a little bit and now moving into the midfield, showing huge yeah, improvement. Yeah, I think he was... Yeah, but I think he was on starvation and half-forward flank for a while, which I think a few of us were mystified with and were thinking, why in the hell isn't he in the midfield? Yes. And then they finally moved him in. And, and half-time of the Carlton strength. game when they were 50 points down, and away he's gone. Yeah. All-Australian, and yeah, look, the kids are gone. I think he could potentially be like Ollie Wines and win another Brownlow for, yeah. for Port Adelaide. Yep. Like you said, star power and can win a game off oh. of his own boot. Yep, no doubt. All right, mate, we move on to cricket. Obviously, very topical. We've got it on here in the background while we're uh, while we're doing it, which is a little distraction at times. Australia, first day of the second test here in Adelaide. Yeah, and who would have said if we'd said Steve Smith and make a duck at the start of the day, we would have, uh, you know, don't be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yes. Lever Shane's well and truly away again, and Travis supporting. Australia's back on back on top. Yep. Obviously, those guys before the uh, day-night test, before the nighttime session started to roll in, were certainly all over it. Playing, obviously, reasonably aggressive. Now that the pink ball does move around a little bit in the night session, they're taking a little bit more of a cautious approach. It looks like the run rate has just slowed down a little bit, which I can yeah, understand. I can no, understand why. I don't reckon it's moving quite as much. I reckon it's a bit of a flatter deck. I think yep. push the panic button a bit worried about West Indies. As can West Indies make it to at least day four? I reckon yep. it was... A, Part of the, uh, the thinking. preparation thinking. Yes. Obviously, a couple of changes with the bowlers. Bolland came in and for Cummings and yes, sir. Nisa came in for Hazelwood. Good changes? Well, it probably evens it up a bit in terms of you're probably going to see that attack not smash, go straight through and bowl them out for 100-odd, which I think was, I thought, you know, Hazelwood got on got on a roll. I thought he bowled, bowled pretty well in Perth and without any luck. And with a pink ball, he could have been dangerous, which is about when you just say Australia's going to bowl tomorrow night. Yep. He could have been the man. So it's probably evened it up a bit. Okay. And obviously uh, West Indies surprised a few, obviously, in Perth. They hung around for a bit longer than than most people thought as well. Yeah, Braithwaite and, you know, and Shanderpaul were both very good and, yeah, two fantastic opening partnerships. Yep. And really had West Indies poised to bat bat deep and possibly draw the game, yep. but they fell away a bit. Can can they do it again? Can they can they I mean different conditions. Obviously you go from Perth where it's thirty five or thirty three degrees most days to a, a little bit of a well we're gonna have a little bit of warmth over the next couple of days, but obviously the nighttime session does throw a little bit of a spanner in the works. Stark with a pink it's got a pretty good record with a pink ball. So is Lion actually. Yeah. So yeah, wait, wait, wait and see for sure. Adelaide Giants, mate. Mate, they're on a roll at the yeah. moment. We we talked about them a couple of weeks ago. They were mid-table. They in their group of 
five teams. They they were in that middle run. Mm. Since then, they've gone on an eight and zero run. Yeah, a huge effort. And now they're actually sitting top of their uh, of their table with a couple of games in hand, and they've also got a couple of home games coming up. So you'd they're going to continue to be around the mark. Yeah, a couple of home series. So yeah, you'd say so. You'd be surprised and disappointed if they fell away now. So. Yeah, it's going to be around the mark. It's great that they put a little bit of space between them and, and the second place at the moment. On the other half of the draw there, you've got Brisbane. They've gone on a little bit of a mini run themselves with, I think it's about seven in a row at the moment as well. So at the moment, that's probably looking at where it might end up towards the end of the season. And gee, wouldn't it be great if we could get the baseball up as well? We get the WBBL, yeah. all of a sudden the Redbacks win a, win a game and, and now the baseball's on fire. We, we might have something to celebrate, mate. That old-fashioned word, hold. (laughs) I like it. All right, mate, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back after the break with a special guest reporter, which many of you may have heard of, that does a lot of work with the local sport via the Sunday Mail. Ben Hook's going to join us from from the Sunday Mail. Yeah, Pete, you caught up with him. So it's just Pete with this one. So, yeah. We pre-recorded the interview last night because of his commitments at the Adelaide Oval today for the cricket. So... He gives us some some real gold along the way. Has there ever been anything that has lightened up your day? Whether it was someone who complimented you or maybe you got a promotion at work, these all make you feel happiness. But if you're looking for more, more to lighten up your day, then you should book our mobile coffee service. We are always dedicated to one thing, service. We appeal to all sorts of people, from commuters on their way to work or our regular workplace coffee stops. And best of all, we visit you. Whether it's our top quality and aromatic coffee or our mouth-watering selection of cakes and food, there will always be something for you to enjoy. Servicing Adelaide's metro area. Why not book in a stop today? Find us on Facebook and send us a message. Tour Coffee and Catering. We deliver your daily caffeine fix. Five good minutes in the clubhouse. And welcome to Five Good Minutes in the Clubhouse. And today we're going to follow up with a bit of local sport with Ben Hook from the Sunday Mail. He's a Sunday Mail columnist, local sports columnist. And we thought we'd touch base with him on a few items that are going on, obviously nationally, but also a little bit locally. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Pete, great to be with you. Thank you, mate. We might start off a little bit more nationally. The Sydney Hobart race is coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's something that I try and make an effort to focus on each and every year in December. You've got to be smart with it, Pete, to be honest, because the boats actually start heading over to Sydney in late November to early December. So if you're not on top of you and make sure that you catch up with these guys before the boat leaves, then you don't really have a story. And the other thing that's really challenging from a newspaper perspective, and I don't want to bore you with just boring old newspaper talk, but there is a great challenge to getting a really good photo of a boat with all its sails up, but at the same time being able to make out the people on the vessel as well, which is one of the criteria for what we try and do with a profile story, if you like, is actually see the identities of the people, the skipper and the navigator and the crew and all of those sorts of things. It's a really big challenge for our photographer as much as it is just the timing of getting the story right. I'm going to focus on a boat called Papillon. Dale Price is the skipper of that boat. It's out of the Royal Yacht Squadron. I think these guys are expecting that they'll do anything more than maybe competitive in their category. Probably the boat that I think, from a South Australian perspective, has the best chance of handicap honours in the Sydney Hobart is... Uh, Bowline, which is actually skippered by the Commodore of the Royal Yacht Squadron. That's been there last year. It's going back again this time around. The one thing that disappoints me about the Sydney Hobart is that there's this huge focus on line on us and the Super Maxis, whereas from a real sailor's perspective, the overall result, the handicap honours, which it's referred to, that's the real quintessential part of the race. And it's been a bit of a shame that a lot of the focus goes on the Super Maxis, which is far beyond anything that Adelaide could ever afford to put together a serious bid for these enormous 100-foot vessels with 30-odd crew. That's just beyond anything that we're capable of. But we've had some very good success at handicap level over the last 10 to 15 years. True North, captained by Andy Says, has won it. And Secret Men's Business, skippered by Jeff Betcher, 
has also won that that overall honours as well. So yeah, it's, it's a fascinating race. We've we've ebbed and flowed a little bit with the amount of entries we've got. I think we've got about four or five this year. So it's always going to be fascinating to see how the South Australians perform in their individual categories. It's really their grand final wing up. Obviously, the Sydney Hobart is pretty popular. Obviously, on the viewing platforms, but people like to hear those stories of local teams, local stories. And, um, and what more do you do at the lunch break of the Boxing Day test and flick it over to the other channel to watch the watch them come through the Sydney heads? It's a rite of passage, isn't it, Pete? A- absolutely. You sit down, you watch the first couple of balls of the cricket, you have it on in the background a little bit, and then you get right into it. And then, you, like you said, at the at the lunch break, you want to see who's who's going, especially first up, getting out of the heads, that's for sure. And you hope they all get the spinnakers up as well, so you get that beautiful colour. It, it's all too rare these days. The spinnakers, gee, they go super fast with the spinnakers, and a lot of them, the sails are just so advanced they almost don't need the spinnakers that often anymore but that can be a bit dangerous if you get them up in high winds but it's always good to see those colorful spinnakers out early on in the race i know we're a little bit far out as far as weather goes but i dare say it'd be not a bad race this year weather wise i haven't looked at it to be honest and i haven't actually spoken to dale price the skipper yet they're probably starting to look at those sorts of things but what's really interesting about it now is the amount of work that the cruising yacht club and sydney hobart officials put into every vessel just to make sure it is absolutely as safe as it can possibly be you've got to have your epurbs you've got to have all of your safety equipment radios working and if you don't pass all of their stringent tests then you don't get a start yeah and that's obviously stemmed from that horrendous race in terrible weather of around about 20 25 years ago when some lives were lost look open water sailing there's always inherent danger to it but yeah the one thing i do admire about the race is that they take every possible precaution that they can to make sure that however many vessels set out from sydney that if they don't make it to hobart they um that they're looked after in it and cared for it as well as they possibly can and uh, brought to shore safely. Absolutely. We look forward to uh, watching that one on Boxing Day uh, coming up. That's hey, all right. Um, you know how it works. You're watching the cricket, then you just flick it over until yeah. you find the sailing and there it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Mate, we'll move on to the uh, Bay Sheffield coming up, uh, obviously, in December as well. This has been a really interesting event this year, Pete. So you probably remember during the whole COVID period, there was a shift of the race from Collie Reserve to Glenelg. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was essentially done because Glenelg Oval had a far greater capacity to manage all of the COVID responsibilities that an event like that had to occur. What also played out was that they therefore were able to put together some pretty advanced corporate facilities. They could charge entry to get in. They could provide people better food and beverage service and all of those sorts of things. And there was, i not say a push, but certainly a feeling from the committee that ran the South Australian Athletic League at the time that they were probably better off retaining at least some of the Bay Sheffield Carnival at Glenelg Oval or ACH Group Stadium, I think it's referred to, from a footy perspective. It blew me away, this, but there's been quite a great deal of angst over a number of that decision-making to the point that the SA Athletic League, I wouldn't say it was a coup, but there was certainly a push for a change of leadership in the South Australian Athletic League this year. So Colin Rouston was voted out of the position. Colin, some people would know, was a, a very good SNFL football umpire from a couple of years gone by and he runs the umpiring department of the Adelaide Footy League these days but he lost the role as president I can't think off the top of my head who is president now but the new president was adamant on two things that they were going to fix up their handicapping system he believed that it needed some work and that they were going to ensure that the Bay Sheffield returned to Collie Reserve now for traditionalists that's great for the bottom line that will be a bit more challenging the one thing I love about the Bay Sheffield and what it's been able to do was in general terms, it's been able to attract some of our top line, even Olympic athletes. So we'll see Izzy Bat Doyle run in one of the middle distance events. You often see some of the big name sprinters turn up in Adelaide to compete at it. And there's varying reports over whether that's better to be held Glenelg or Collie Reserve. So Glenelg's obviously got a superior surface. And there are some athletes that don't want to run at Collie Reserve because it can be a little bit up and down. So I'll be interested to see how this plays out this year. We're certainly not at a point right now where we can pinpoint absolutely clearly who's going to be coming and who's not. But if they 
if they run the whole thing at Collie Reserve and they get a really good high-quality field, then you'd probably argue that the decision to make that change at committee level is probably going to be vindicated because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about fans, and the fans won't have to pay anything at Collie Reserve, obviously, but if the fans are going to be able to get up close like they can at Collie Reserve and see the absolute top-end athlete, that's hard to argue with. The finances, yeah, look, that's not an issue for people like you and me who are just punters who like to go and watch sports events, but that's another thing for the SAE Athletic League to manage. But, yeah, that's all been very interesting and quite tense, to be honest, this year, the way that, yeah, the management and the structure and the angst that's been in and around the SA Athletic League. So we'll be interested to see how it all plays out in the next month. I can certainly see the uh, the advantages of going, obviously, to Glenelg Oval. Uh, but the intimate feel of Collie Reserve and that traditional home does have its draw as well. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting, an interesting little uh, subject that'll come up over the next month or two for sure. Mate, I don't have a dog in the fight here. And, yes, look, just purely from the perspective that this has been an event that has lived as co- at Collie Reserve and the paved area at the end of Collie Reserve is where the names of all of the past winners are. So it's certainly just from a pure romantic sense makes absolute sense at Collie Reserve. But you just don't want to see uh, elite athletes not want to come because of the surface or even worse, come and then get injured. So, yeah, there's a whole host of things in the mix there and uh, I'll just be looking forward to seeing how it all plays out and to what extent the new committee can bring that romanticism back uh, while also mitigating some of the challenges that come from running an elite sporting event at what is for 363 days a year a public park. Yep, we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. Mate, we move on to softball. Just recently the Australian softball team had a a big win overseas, but we've got some local all-stars coming our way. Yeah, I love what Softball South Australia has done. They have had an incredible, let's say, nine months. Again, due to COVID, they had a delay on the national championships, which were due to be held in Adelaide. They're normally held around about mid-late January. This year, they were shifted right out to May. They had terrible weather during May, but the SA Stars, the nickname for the team, the South Australian team, won the open competition, which was... Just the second time they had won it ever. The only other time they'd won it was also at home, was played at Theberton Oval. This, of course, now is at West Beach. So that was quite a, a significant achievement for a bunch of girls who had been competitive. I think they played a final in Perth the year before, but it just been such a long time between drinks. So to, to win that national title, the Gilly Shield, I think it's called, for just the second time in their history, that was a huge moment for South Australian softball. And what they're going to do this year, and I think this is great, it'll be on December 28th, I presume it'll be at West Beach, is that the current SA Stars team will play, the Stars will play what's going to be called the Stars and Stripes. So this year there are seven... American imports playing in our local competition, which is probably a story that needs a bit more highlighting. Maybe local basketball would have would bring as many international imports in, but it would be. I might even argue the toss over. Certainly, a lot of the a lot of the basketball clubs bring some American players in, but that's a lot of American imports into a, a community competition like yeah. the Adelaide Clubs competition with softball. So that's been quite a coup to land those players, and they're actually going to cobble them together into a team, and they'll play against the the South Australian Open team on December 28th, I think the date is scheduled for. So, yeah, I really admire what Softball SA and James Harris, the CEO there, has done. They've got some pretty impressive young up-and-coming players. Of course, the queen of softball in South Australia is Belle White. And, Pete, I'm on the board of the Hall of Fame, Sport SA Hall of Fame Selection Committee, and she's just one of those people that as soon as she's eligible, you just go, tick, she'll be in. And she'll actually be... There's no South Australian softballer. Jenny Cheeseman played basketball and softball, and she's in the Sport SA Hall of Fame, but there's no outright softballer in the Sport SA Hall of Fame. Bill White will be the one to uh, the first one as soon as she's eligible. I think she's got to be retired three years. But just keep an eye out for a name, Taylor Chillingworth. I featured her in my newspaper column last weekend. Uh, She's had an unbelievable 12 months. She played in... Port Adelaide's first ever premiership. It was their 50 years in the competition. She, they, she played in their first ever A-grade premiership, then played in the South Australian under-18s, was their MVP, played in the South Australian under-23s, was also their MVP, and then went on and played in the South Australian Open team and was part of that historic national title as well. Taylor Chillingworth, her mum, Elisa, is a bit of a legend of Port Adelaide as a player at softball, and her dad is Gary Chillingworth, who is a former Redbacks cricket. Only played a couple of games, bold off spin. I vaguely remember that he played 
one of those day-night Sheffield Shield games, this is how far back we're going here, Pete, he played with an orange cricket ball. They wore whites and used an orange cricket ball. Now, I don't know if you can remember no. that. Terry Chillingworth was involved in one of those games at Adelaide Oval. So, yeah, Taylor Chillingworth is a name to keep an eye out for. Definitely. Definitely one that we'll put on our list to maybe get on the podcast to, to have a bit she'd of a be chat. Great. That'd yeah. be fantastic. She's a, she's a really mature young girl for her age too. So she's off to San Jose State University next year. So she'll be studying kinesiology, I think, and... I didn't even know how to spell kinesiology, let alone what they actually do, kinesiologists. But yes. um, that's what she's going to be studying at San Jose next year while she's playing softball for them. Fantastic. Mate, we move on to uh, cricket. We've, my, my co-host Malcolm and I, we've been a bit frustrated lately in trying to get some local results. And obviously there's a few things going on there in the background as far as results go. But looks like we're going to move to a two two division system moving forward for the Premier League. It seems like it. No, look, I would have been. I wondered if Malcolm was going to be on the other end of the phone line here, and I would have been happily to just shoulder arms, let the ball go through to Malcolm as the wicketkeeper, and yep. watch him deliver one of his trademark tirades <laughs> on the two tier system. Yep. Yeah, it's starting to take shape, isn't it? We've seen now we're four games in. There's three teams that don't have a win yet. You're going to work on the theory that it's probably going to be very difficult for them to get into that top seven or top eight, depending on where the cutoff's going to be. Yeah, look, I can understand what Saka's doing. I know that there has been a lot of calls for, I guess, trying to reform the competition. I don't think anyone deep down has ever thought that 13 is a great number of clubs, whether it's just the odd number that's a problem or whether it could have been rationalised down to 12 or 10 been better. But here we are. We're going to the two-division model now. What I do like about it, I've got to be honest, is that it doesn't force clubs into a merger and it solidifies the fact that there are 13 clubs with 13 groups of volunteers and 13 groups of players and they're all in it ultimately for the betterment of the competition and the betterment of cricket as a whole. So I think that's a positive. I think it is incumbent upon the South Australian Cricket Association just to make sure that the clubs that are in second division next year are given a leg up and given every opportunity to compete. I would be really disappointed if the move to this two divisions meant that those second division clubs were almost left on a line to wither up and die. That would be really sad, and I think that would be an unfortunate outcome of what the uh, the direction that SAC is potentially going. The other thing I would say, Pete, and this is probably something that I think I've seen be very successful in other competitions, and I'm surprised that the South Australian Cricket Association hasn't at least attempted to go down this path in the past, and that is to implement an independent commission to run the Premier competition. So at the moment, it is run by a delegate from each club, and then there's a delegate from the umpires, and they all get together and they make their decisions. But all of these people have some skin in the game from a club perspective, and it's very difficult to make decisions for the betterment of cricket as a whole when you're there as a representative of your club and you've got to represent the best interests of your club. Every time can you say that the decision you need to be making for the betterment of South Australian cricket is also going to be for the betterment of your club? There may be some compromise there and I think that's really difficult to make when you are there as a club delegate. I would implore, suggest, recommend that South Australian cricket from a premier cricket perspective, and we're talking men's and women's cricket here, and women's cricket's going to only continue in particular after the strike has won the WBBL this year, that you've got to get these things absolutely right. And I reckon one of the really important things is to make sure that an independent commission is making the decisions for the betterment of the competition rather than club delegates making decisions that would you would perceive to be a, for the betterment of the club. And that's what their responsibility would be. They're club delegates after all. That's their name. That's their title. And uh, I just don't know that club delegates making decisions on behalf of the competition the ideal model. That's probably something that could be thought about. Is there something that Cricket Australia could get involved with in providing an independent umpire for this type of decision, especially considering this will be a big change to the, the way Premier Cricket has been played for many years? 100%. South Australian Cricket should be using every resource at its disposal. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they do look at what the models are. So you have a look at the currently right now, Western Australia is the model that I would be looking at. Now, Western Australia, I think, from memory, has 16 clubs. And compared to our 13, that's probably about right for population. Uh, I'm 
again, I'm not 100% sure on their population and our population, but it wouldn't be completely far off the mark. So you'd have to wonder, well, okay, why is that? What And should we be just blindly aligning the South Australian Premier competition to the performance of your Sheffield Shield team year mm-hmm. in, year If you looked right now at high performance in South Australian cricket, and you'd have to say they're not doing too bad. So what are we today? It's what's the 7th or the 8th. I couldn't even tell you the date, yep. to be honest, Pete. But right now, South Australian cricket has four members of the Australian team out of its women's program. They have two members out of its team, test team, in Head and Carey. Yep. We're sitting fourth in the Sheffield Shield, second in the Marsh Cup, and we won the WBBL. I would say that's a pretty good outcome for a fairly small state. So right now, I reckon I could make the argument, and Malcolm would probably love to have the argument, but I would say a high-performance program's going okay. That's not a bad outcome. Now, I accept that there's been some pretty poor Sheffield Shield performances historically over the last, what, five years. We made two Shield finals in a row. But I do – so, yeah, I'll get back to your question. Yes, looking at what Cricket Australia recommends and borrowing off – other models of other smaller states. So I'd forget New South Wales and Victoria. That's just a completely different program. Yep. But I would certainly be looking at how things roll in Queensland, definitely Western Australia, and absolutely Tasmania. Now, Tasmania is a nine-team competition for, what is it, 400,000 people in Hobart. I don't know that I don't know that you should necessarily correlate the way your premier cricket structure, and that should just therefore reflect with a successful Sheffield Shield team. I don't think it works that simply, but I'd certainly be looking at those models. And then the other thing you've got to work out with South Australian cricket is if you're keeping Port Adelaide and you're keeping Sturt, Port Adelaide, what, has maybe three or four schools. They have got a huge battle trying to come up with the amount of juniors they need that therefore translate to seniors. Yep. That's, a, that's an uphill battle, whereas Sturt and Kensington, these clubs have 30, 40 schools to pick from. Yep. It's not a fair fight in some ways. And look, Port Adelaide are going to do pretty well this year because they've recruited very well, but historically they've had some challenges. And it's just basically because the geographic location, they don't have the access to juniors that some of the more blessed clubs do. Yeah, there's probably 15 answers to one question that I've given you there, Pete, but I don't think there's a, there's not a simple answer. It's nuanced and it, it does need some, some thought and some intelligent people involved. But one of the things I would certainly implore South Australia to at least consider is to move to a model where there's independence of the people making the decisions on the competition. The one thing I will say that I do like about the two-tier system, we're not going to lose a club. And I'm a club man. I love my – I played for Glenelg and I played for Adelaide and I love them both and I would never want to see them compromised unless it absolutely had to be the case. But I love the fact that by the end of next year, we'll still have 13 teams and then we can start to think about how we do rationalise things if that's what's needed. It's great that that they're looking at potentially benchmarking against other states and I think that's only a really good positive. Sounds like maybe a little bit of a redrafting of some boundaries might actually help that along the way as well. Look, it's really difficult because you can't go to Port Adelaide and say, we're going to give you another 10 schools and they're working up through Woodville and West Torrens and Prospect. That just... That there are some challenges there that are inherent and you're just going to have to deal with them. How you manage that is a bigger challenge than, say, the SANFL. And they're always shifting their boundaries all the time and redistributing this area for that area and those and so forth. But it's not as simple with the eight-team model that the SANFL has plus the two AFL clubs. When you've got 13 teams and a bit of a cram in the West, it's very difficult to make that equitable. And then to country zones, yeah, they'll have country zones as well. But, yeah, to expect a kid in the hills to drive past Sturt, Adelaide and Prospect to go down and then Woodville to go down and play at Port Adelaide, that's a real big ask as well. So, yeah, as I said, it's nuanced. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There is some thought that needs to go into it. But, yeah, right now, my opinion would be whatever they can do that doesn't have an adverse effect on the number of great clubs in the short term, I'm comfortable with it. Sounds like they've they've got a little bit of a please-all model at the moment and, and go from there. That's only a positive for sure. Yeah, look, it just allows you to work with nothing wrong with working what you've got. And as I've said, if you're correlating it to high performance, and that's it's not as simple as that. It's not just 
the Redbacks are bad because great cricket's bad. There's more to it than that. But a- absolutely right now, if we have a situation where we say, we're going to give this a go, but it's not going to have a long-term adverse effect on anyone, I'm comfortable with, with them having a look at it. We'll keep an eye on it over the next little bit and they might check back in with you early in the new year and see if we've got any movement on it. But, mate, we'll move on to golf. Exciting times in KI. Yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a massive few weeks in golf, Pete. I was I've just got back from the Australian Open. I was there last week. A tremendous event. They went to a dual tournament for the first time. So the men's Australian Open and the women's Australian Open were played concurrently on the same two courses. Looked fantastic um, for sure. Yeah, it looked really was. There, there are a couple of little speed bumps that they'll have to sort out. They were played on two courses that are about 10, 15 minutes apart. The main course was Victoria Golf Club, which is right next to Royal Melbourne. The secondary course was Kingston Heath, which is about 10, 15 minutes up the road. And there were some challenges with travel between the two for players and therefore fans as well. So there was a number of things that they're probably just going to have to tidy up uh, if they continue with this model. Had an inordinate number of people on the course on the Saturday and that meant, and they went to a secondary cut on the Sunday, which upset some people as well. So only the top 30 plus ties from the men's and the women's competition actually played the final day and that, that upset a few. It didn't upset me, to be honest. I reckon if you're not in the top 30, you're not going to win. Yes. If you've lost a, a fourth round match in the tennis, they don't suddenly let you play until you get to the semi-final and once you're out. Yes. A, a, another topic entirely. But anyway, it was a great event. It was great. The women do need a bit of a leg up in golf. So there's been 48 years since the first Women's Australian Open. That event hasn't been played 18 times since. It's just super expensive to put on a women's golf event. It's been largely ignored by media in the past. So the fact that it got combined with the men's, I think, was worth it. And I hope they at least stick with it for a period of time until women's golf just gets a bit more cute. A bit like what happens with the tennis majors, Pete. I mean, I think we all accept that a good WTA event will not probably have the same level of support as a good ATP event. But when you combine these events together, we'll see it with the Adelaide International. They've made some announcements today of players coming to South Australia. And I think that the men and the women being together, it's a bit of a case where the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's the same for golf as well. So that was last week. I think it was a real success with a few things just to iron out. But I'm actually, I'm not heading there tomorrow, but I know some people are. The first sod will be turned on the Cliffs Golf Course in Kangaroo Island, which is due to be opened, I reckon, in 2025. So this is a remarkable project, a collaboration between Darius Oliver, a well-known course designer, and Ambassador Wade Ormsby, and some owners that are going to be putting a heck of a lot of money in resources to build a world-class, state-of-the-art travel destination golf course on Kangaroo Island and work will start next week which is really exciting. Wade Ormsby, I'll be catching up with him tomorrow morning. He's the ambassador for it. Of course, he's, you would argue he's probably in the top five ever golfers in South Australia. I think probably Jane Crafter I'd have as number one but he's certainly up there. He'll be He's very much a part of it. He's involved. I'm looking forward to catching up with him. But if anyone who plays golf and has been to Barnboogle Dunes or Barnboogle Lost Farm or even been to King Island and played Cape Wickham and Ocean Dunes, then you'll have a bit of an understanding of what they're looking to uh, achieve. What, what this can mean for for travel and tourism and all of those sorts of things. If Ad, if sorry, not if Adelaide, if Kangaroo Island can establish. And there's a lot to get from turning the first sod to someone standing on the first tee. That's a, that's, there's a lot of work still to come. But yep. the fact that this looks like it's going ahead, I think, is tremendously exciting, not just for South Australia, but for golfers right around Australia and around the world. I can imagine a lot of people travel to come to Barnboogle from overseas. Same with King Island. There's not quite the resources there. But if we can establish Kangaroo Island as an international destination for golfers, I think that would be just something really quite special. Absolutely fantastic that a bit of forward thinking is happening, especially out at KI with all of the issues that they had a couple of years ago that yeah. that, uh, that they're going to try and put something back on the map there for them. And, and wow, tourism in this state will absolutely love the fact that they can not only get a bit of a holiday, but a bit of golf in at the same time. can only well, be you, a good you, thing. You, you think about this, Pete. You, you come into Adelaide, you might get off the plane, you might ring up Nick Lewis, sorry, Brett Lewis, I beg your pardon, at, at Kuyonga, find yourself a game 
five minutes from the airport, jump back on a plane, a little light plane, and head over to Kangaroo Island, land at Pandana, and make the trip down to the cliffs. What a spectacular yeah. little holiday that would be for the golf nuts. And I guarantee you there are plenty of them out there. So you think about... Yeah, the access to golf from our airport here yeah. in Adelaide and the amount of amazing golf clubs, Glenelg on one side, Kiyonga on the other, and then Royal Adelaide and Grange just a bit further down the road. And then, yeah, jump on a light plane and head to um, head to Kangaroo Island or even some of the courses down south, Link Lady Bay and Mount Compass, yep. both not far from wine regions. They're also absolutely great tourism destinations. So I really think the cliffs at Kangaroo Island can be a real a real cherry on top of what's already a pretty good infrastructure. I love having a bit of a hit of golf myself and definitely be putting that on my list of things to do for sure. Oh, mate, absolutely. I mean, if as soon as that opens, I would just yep. love nothing better than get over to Kangaroo Island for a couple of days, have a... Well, whether it's with a couple of boys and a few glasses of red at night or my wife's a pretty keen golfer as well we could take by that stage we've got a young daughter she might be old enough to bat a few around you're winning you're Whether winning on all family. counts mate you're winning on all counts <laughs> yeah that's it spot on i might earn a couple of family brownie points along the way too absolutely and what a better place to do it at ki for sure Mate, 2022 is coming to an end and obviously you're the local sports guru some of your favorite events for 2022 Pete, I knew you were going to ask me this, and I've been sitting here while we've been talking. I've been trying to think about it. Pete, 2022, amazing year for South Australian sport. So, look, we started the year with the Adelaide Crows winning another AFLW Premiership, which just what a club they have become out of almost nowhere. It was almost like, no, you've got to amalgamate with the Northern Territory team to have any hope of being competitive and uh, what if they won three of the seven seven, years with one year that never got off the ground or never concluded due to COVID anyway so that's pretty remarkable and I've always been thinking to myself god outside of that what is the what's the top South Australian sports team and the SA softball girls certainly did their bit in May but the one organisation, I guess I've, I feel like I've got a bit of a link to them, is the Adelaide Strikers, the WBBL team. Yep. I'm, I do their ground dancing for them, Pete. This craggy old voice goes to every home game and I guess just introduces them to the crowd that's there. And it's a, it, it, oh. it, it's two things. One is it's a great experience to be a part of it, but you also really develop a, a level of support for them that perhaps you wouldn't have had in the past for a sporting team. Yep. So... I've watched this group develop over, well, the last four or five years. I've been involved for, I reckon, since about season three, and this was season eight. And it was just, it's just so good to see that all of their hard work, all of their development, the way they go about their game has developed into this incredible win over the Sydney Sixers a couple of weeks ago. And look, I'm a former cricketer, Pete, so I sit and watch it a little bit critically. And there were so many times I'd say, Oh, Talia McGrath is captain. I reckon she's got pulled the wrong rein here. And then whatever she had done would come off. And I would think, what do I know? This young Talia McGrath, quiet, shy young girl, she is developing into one of the one of the great international rounders, but also one of the great cricket brains. And I think her captaincy went a long way to winning us that title. I think we've got some absolute staples in Megan Shute and Amanda Jade Wellington, who, quite frankly, mate, are world class bowlers and they get Adelaide into and in front in so many games. It's quite incredible. They've recruited really well with a kid called Gemma Barsby, whose father, Trevor, was from my era. She's a really interesting story. She can bowl both hands, would you believe? She can bowl right uh-huh. arm, she can bowl left arm. Yeah, she's a, a fascinating story. She's a great recruit down from Queensland. But most of them are homegrown. Bridget Patterson, we're talking about Kangaroo Island. She's off of Kangaroo Island. She played an amazing knock in the in the preliminary final, if you like, to get mm-hmm. them over the line. That's just a group that I'm, I think I'm proud of them, but I'm just really pleased for them, having seen so much of them. Just to see them achieve that ultimate result was really quite special. And then their coach, no one would have ever heard of him. But Luke Williams is right now one of the preeminent Australian cricket coaches. And that's not just in the women's game. That's right around Australia. He's an old teammate of mine. He does no media whatsoever. You never hear from Luke Williams. He's the most down-to-earth, understated guy. And you don't always get that with coaches, in particular in T20 cricket. But he's done a remarkable job with them. Uh, He's also the coach of the Scorpions. That's probably the group that I'm... Most pleased to see have success. Just from a 
From a local league perspective, I reckon the best story was Scott Ninnis going back to South Adelaide and coaching them to the men's, what do they call it now? Shouldn't The premier competition, I'll think of the name as we're going along. Legendary South Australian basketballer, one of the greats for the Adelaide 36ers, went and coached them for a couple of years when they were at their lowest ebb was moved on after two years and really looked like he was never going to get back into basketball. And I reckon it was his wife, Rebecca, who was also a basketballer, just nudged him in the ribs and said, look, South Adelaide need a coach. Why don't you go and have a crack at it? And so he did. And he coached South Adelaide to a premiership that I don't think any of them thought was in their wheelhouse, certainly in the short term. I reckon they've probably been around about 25 years since their last premiership. I'd have to go back and look at that. But that was just an absolutely tremendous story from a local league perspective. And then I've got one more for you. Lawn Bowles. I'll give you one for Lawn Bowles. Yes. Perfect. That's in my, that's that's in my right. yep. wheelhouse right there. So I'll give you yeah, one more for you. I reckon your listeners should keep an eye out, if you speak in particular if you're a Lawn Bowls fan, for Kate Argent Bowden. Yep. Now, this kid would be 17, 17 years of age. Yep, she is. Super, super mature from Anguston, has won the under-18 national titles for the Twice. last two or three years yes. in a row. As you, you're, you're telling the story here. Uh, I am a little I bit. Reckon, I reckon she won the, the South Australian Open, so beat all of the Open women at the start of this year as well. She is just someone who I think we're going to see head to a Commonwealth Games every likelihood in the next three or four years. Just one of those very talented young athletes. It's the beauty of modern sport, isn't it? She gave up footy with Central District Football Club because she wanted to focus on her lawn bowls. Who would have thought that in seven or eight years ago? So isn't it just wonderful to see a young 17-year-old having having an opportunity like that? Pete, if you know your lawn bowls, you'll know the name Kate Argent-Bowden. Certainly do. Had the pleasure of watching her at the Australian Open up in Queensland this year. She ended up winning the under-18 title. There's another name that you might want to keep an eye out for in the men's side is young Nathan Black. Black, just right. turned 18, I believe, product of the Grain Bowling Club at the moment. Just recently got selected for the Series Under-25 squad to participate in that as well. Some good things coming out of South Australian Lawn Bowls. Yeah, yeah, magnificent. I'm preaching the converter with you, Pete. More about it than me, but that young, the young lad Black, I'll uh, certainly keep an eye out for his name in the short term. Absolutely, and yeah, I don't think it'll be too long before he uh, wins a national title as well and will probably be in that Jackaroo squad. Oh, he's an emerging Jackaroo now, but in their main squad. No, it's tremendously exciting. All right, mate. Thank you very much for your insights today. Wow, we've covered a lot of sport and, and you're in my wheelhouse with a few of these uh, sports as well. And good to uh, to touch base on the Sydney Hobart, the Bay Sheffield. Softball was very interesting. I didn't know a whole lot about the softball up until now. So you've certainly piqued my interest there and the Shield cricket as well. And obviously we're going to get away for some golf at some stage in KI, which would be amazing. Pete, honestly, really enjoyed the chat and uh, all the best with with it going forward. Thank you very much, mate. And we'll look to have you on in the new year with some new fresh stories heading around South Australian sport. For sure. Feel, feel free to call any time. Thank you very much, Ben. Good on you, Pete. Cheers, mate. Welcome back to the Game On Podcast. <laughs> Ben Hook was fantastic there. He gave us some real good insight into uh, some of the local sports going on and a couple of sports there that, that I didn't know a lot about and he certainly uh, gave me the heads up there. Yeah, can't say he doesn't follow everything, Hooky. Yeah, look forward to being on with him next time and, yeah, a bit of debate on the district cricket side of things. I can see both sides of the the argument there. Yeah, I while I, I understand completely where he's coming from about the schools, and I think that's a really good point, but then you've got to argue, you know, pure demographically, West Torrens, Woodville and Port Adelaide are all so close together. And, yeah, it'll be interesting also to get Ben's thoughts on whether a side should relocate to Mount Barker. Yeah, we can certainly put that to him in the new yeah. year. Obviously, at the moment, it's it's an interesting time in SA cricket for sure. Happy days. All right, mate, to kick off happy days today, uh, happy birthday this week to Larry Bird. We talk about goats of uh, different sports at different times. Larry, obviously the American Basketball Hall of Fame. He's been a coach, uh, executive, three NBA championships, finals, MVP 1984 and 86, 
three-time NBA uh, MVP and a 12-time All-Star. I mean, wow, it doesn't get any bigger than that, does it? No, we certainly probably, you know, he's he's up in the debate as well. I think if you got your two All-Star fives, Larry would be in it. Absolutely. This week, uh, 84, Chris Everett wins the Australian Open, beating Helena Sokova, 6-7, 6-1, 6-3. She actually continues her winning streak of winning at least one Grand Slam major since 1974. She's certainly a great. She's one of the all-time greats, and longevity was certainly a big, big ticking point with Chris as well. And very smooth around the court as yeah. well. You know, just just played the game very, very well. And uh, yeah, you're right. Longevity. I mean, ten years of at least winning one Grand Slam. Even the old wooden rackets back then, and yeah, still managed that grace and still got. Somehow they got the power out of them. Absolutely. No, no, one of the all-timers. We'll stick with tennis, mate. Yeah. 1985, Stefan Edberg, a favourite of mine growing up, wins his first singles Grand Slam here in Australia at the Australian Open, beating fellow Swedish superstar Mats 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, straight sets. Yeah, convincing in the end there, which, yeah, I, I do I do remember that, the big build-up, the, the, you know, the, Swiss, the Swiss battle sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Edberg came through and pretty much grabbed the chocolates pretty a lot easier than we expected. Absolutely, and and a yeah. lot of and a lot of people would say, "Oh, hang on, why are we uh, talking about Stefan Edberg winning a Grand Slam in December?" A lot of our older listeners might realise that back in the day, the Australian Open was played in December right, until it so. went to Melbourne Park and obviously moved to January, which is where it is right now. It become the traditional time, but it was December. Yep, absolutely. And uh, moving on to our last one. Very topical with cricket on in the background at the moment. In 1936, Australia was bowled out for 58 against England. I reckon it's a wet wicket. I'm vaguely remembering reading and that, and yes. <laughs> and the great man, Sir Donald Bradman, you don't hear this too often, mate. He was out for naught. A bit like Steve Smith today. So it's a, yeah, a day for the greats. We're talking about making sporting globes. Fantastic. All right, let's scoot into the big One. finish. Extra time. Big finish. Now, mate, this may not be in your wheelhouse a little bit, but I'll ask you the question right. anyway. I've got down some notes as well. Men's Australian softball team are world champions. Oh, look, fantastic result. You're beating American Canada on the way to winning it. No small no small feat. Absolutely. No, great effort. They uh, they play Canada in uh, round one of the tournament that, that has just finished. They lose 6 nothing to come back in the final and almost shut them down completely and, and score quite well ourselves was a fantastic achievement. Oh, great result. Great team effort as well. Golf. Yeah, Smith didn't perform as he would have liked at the Aussie Open. You know, Adrian Moronk from Poland finishes five shots ahead of Adam Scott. It was a bit of an upset. Yeah. Yeah. We, we expected Scott to just, I'm sorry, Cam Smith to to roll in and, and do his thing. It was a little bit off, off of his game a little bit. Thought he didn't make the cut. He headed to the pub. <laughs> he was enjoying himself. And, and Adam Scott was probably our big hope there. But, uh, yeah, big ups, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Basketball, mate. Adelaide 36ers. Yeah, big game this week. Perth Wildcats on Friday night at 7 o'clock. Yep, at the Entertainment Centre. A huge comeback against the uh, Cairns Taipans. Uh, I actually sat down and watched this game the other night. They were down twice. Quite big numbers. Uh, in the first quarter, they were they were atrocious. You could probably get the Norwood under twelve basketball team performing a little bit better than them in the first quarter, but they really made inroads into the uh, into the game in the second and third uh, quarter. Let themselves get out to a fifteen point deficit in the last quarter and came home like a roaring truck going down the Southern Expressway. Yeah, cons- inconsistency has been a big thing with them so yeah, far it's this sort of year. Win loss, win loss, win loss, win loss. Yeah. It's been a lot of dramas, as we know, with Randall, and yeah, it, it's. We'd love to see basketball just a bit more settled. Yep. In the state, you never know. They get an import. They haven't got an import at the moment. They get one in. It may change the change the dynamic a little bit. Leading into say. finals, you just never know. Never know. Never know. Yeah, the Hopman Cup, mate. That's yeah, a bit tennis. Of news. Yeah, tennis. So I actually read this uh, the other day. A bit sad to see the Hopman Cup leave Australian shores. It's been an institution, generally in Perth. Yeah, played at the uh, casino there. Yeah, so it's a bit of a surprise. You used to always watch that in between the Christmas, New Year's. You had the cricket on, you got the Sydney mm. to Hobart on, and you'd have the tennis on. 
and upon reading it, it's the Hotman Cup is not even going to be in Australia going forward. They still want to retain the mixed event, but it's actually heading over to France. Yeah, wait, see, disappointing result. A little bit. They've got it for the next five years. It'll be played in July. Obviously, Tennis Australia have got new events here in Australia where they've got a United Cup where they play events in each city and then obviously a final leading up into the Australian Open. So trying something a little bit different as well. But you're just sad from an Australian point of view to lose the Hopman Cup. Yep. Mate, the SNFL in the footy this week has come out with a list of initiatives for their members. Positive, negative? Look, yeah, hopefully. I might be quite as buoyant about it. But hopefully, look, SNFL memberships are out. Yeah, I'm. We're, we're both SNFL. Yes, people. absolutely. I so, mean, yeah. look, you know, some of the reciprocal things that are happening around the place. I think they've added a bit of value to that membership. But you know, really, local SNFL clubs really need memberships, and and that's what really makes them tick over. Obviously, most clubs over the next week or so, or if they haven't already started, uh, they've started campaigning for their 2023 membership. So urge everybody to get on board. I'd like to see the clubs get back involved more, the schools again and the Pine Party Nights and that side of things. And yep. Yeah, I I think they've taken, per, this is a personal opinion, yep. I think probably that's an area that can be done better. And uh, obviously your local SNFL club, get in contact with them if you would like to buy a membership, even if it's a three-game membership or a five-game membership yep. or a home membership, I, I'm sure they would absolutely love having your support for 2023. Yeah, and just... At least last Saturday, we'd go down to the Norwood, you know, they had their Nord clearance sale. It was good to see a few parents with young kids there. And I actually said to you know, a couple were there too, I said, it's actually great to see a couple of young kids ride into the SNFL. And, and I said, because, you know, you do a kids' coaching clinic now, and if you've got 40 kids there, you're lucky if you've generally got two in SNFL gear. So it was good to see a few kids down there. A bit more accessible for, for yep. a younger player. We, we we stand in the outer, obviously, at, at the SNFL grounds, and you get great access to the, to the players, and hopefully we can get some access to them over the season and have them on as interviews from every club in the SNFL. It would Definitely. be fantastic. All right, mate, we're going to wrap it up. We didn't mention this last week, but we cracked 10 episodes uh, as of last week, so... We're doing all right. We're, our numbers are looking pretty good. And, and uh, as we said, uh, please like, like, rate and subscribe. Uh, that certainly helps keeping our numbers uh, heading up and heading in the right direction. And just a little bit of a, a public announcement again. Yeah, Malcolm's Facebook had been hacked and any friend requests that you get from his old account, please ignore and get onto his new account. And uh, certainly with the friend requests, that would be amazing. Picture of myself with Jack Hurd with his premiership medallion. All right, mate, as per usual, we promise to do better. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.